Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another amazing episode of the Leadership Podcast, the podcast where we talk to people who are good at what they do to inspire leaders to get better. Folks, my name is Jared Hogue, and I'm joined with the one and only Roman, legs the size of tree trunks, Johnson, everybody. Why do you have to describe my body like that? <laughs> Argue with me. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. It, it, I'll tell you what, uh, they, they're larger than average, I suppose, but, uh, it's only because of my years of martial arts training. It's true. It's true. You are a black, multiple black belt or single black belt. Uh, I'm a second degree black belt, Jared, in the art of Taekwondo. Second degree black belt. So folks don't mess with Roman. If you run into him in a dark alley, I don't know why <laughs> Roman is hanging out in so many dark alleys. But, uh, I would love I would love to run into somebody in a dark alley. I think we'd have a good conversation. We'd maybe talk <laughs> about current events or the weather, perhaps. Um, I would not be aggressive at all unless you were aggressive towards me first. <laughs> Roman, it, that is it's so funny. You are such a gentle giant. Like you're such a caring individual for being someone who could who could probably kill somebody if they needed to. I do know I have the skill set, but I, I would never unless provoked. So uh, thank you for that kind compliment. I, I, I hope I do exude uh, caring properties with my <laughs> overall countenance. Yeah, I think I think so. I was a little confused by the by the word spree that you went on right there, but I believe <laughs> that what you said is true. I believe yeah. so. Ro- Roman, this is episode number 62 of the Leadership Podcast. 62. We're building quite the library here. Jared, um, on uh, in in honor of this episode 62, I'd like to ask you, what do you think you will be doing at age 62? Oh my gosh, at age 62. That's a great question. Hopefully playing with some grandkids. I really yeah. have nothing other than that. I've got nothing other than that right now. You you don't have the the dream of sitting on a sitting on a porch with some iced tea that everyone talks about when they're old, like retiring and sitting on a porch looking out over their land with an iced tea. That's not your gig. I I do hope I have mastered like making the best sweet tea at that point in my life. But Do you make do you even make sweet tea now? I have many times, many, many, many times. Um, I don't right now because I am on a, I am not trying to, I'm trying to ingest as little sugar as possible. Uh, hey, that right to, there, that's going to, that's going to get you to at least 62. If you keep, <laughs> keep that up. That's the goal. That's the goal. So yeah, hopefully uh, my daughter Pepper and my son Cash will have had some, some, some babies by that time. And uh, we'll be we'll be enjoying our grandkids at that point in life. Maybe doing some traveling uh, beyond that. I really I don't know. I don't know. How about you? I am going to uh, by the age of sixty two still be able to do uh, uh, a large amount of pull ups. I respect I'm that. Gonna, I hope to keep my body and and uh, I hope to steward it as as I age and not become a wheelchair bound uh, old person. I, I believe that that will be true of you. Uh, Roman, I feel like we should give uh, another quick weather update here. Um, <laughs> uh, I believe after this uh, recording of the podcast here, I am actually going to be making a snowman with my children. I, oh, and sweet. It, it is spring. It is spring. 
Um, but I am going to be making a snowman because up here in New England, it apparently this part of the country just doesn't understand uh, how the weather should work. So, hey, if I, you if you have any uh, suggestions on what Jared should name his snowman, hit us up online at creative underscore sheep. Uh, maybe send Jared a suggestion on what he should name it. <laughs> please do, please do. And r- a quick story for you. So we were leaving our home uh, a couple of days ago. And we drove past, these people had built this very elaborate snowman. I I still don't know how they did it because it wasn't like, you know, you create the big snowball and then a slightly smaller snowball and then a slightly smaller one for the head. It wasn't like that at all. It was like just a giant pillar. They had built this pillar out of snow and then formed it into the Statue of Liberty. They created a snow version of the Statue of Liberty. So like we're talking even, about more of like a, a Michelangelo era sculpting that they would have done uh, to accomplish this, maybe like put, put, put it all together and then chisel it out. It had to have been something like that. I still don't know how they did it. And they had even gone so far as to like add food coloring and stuff. And like, it was very patriotic, very patriotic. I'd never seen anything wow. like it. And it was at least, it had to have been at least like eight or nine feet tall. Wow. So I like it might have startled Goliath a little bit. I, I don't know, but it, it was it was a large snow figure. I'd never seen anything like it until being up here in the northeast. It was crazy. Well, I thought you did a wonderful job of painting a word picture for us there. <laughs> Oh, man. Hey, folks, once again, this episode is brought to you by creativesheep.org. All of your pre-made uh, video and media needs, uh, pre-made and custom, that is. If you are if you can't find what you're looking for there but want to have something custom done for your church, uh, hit us up. Let us know. We'd love to help out. And you can uh, contact us for all that right over there at creativesheep.org. Roman, this is episode 62 of the podcast. And uh, we've got a really special guest today. We're joined with the senior pastor of Victory Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Pastor Paul Darty, the son of former pastor, uh, Pastor Billy Joe Darty, who has uh, since passed and gone on to be with the Lord, just an amazing man, um, who started Victory Church, Victory Victory uh, Christian School, Victory Bible Institute, which I attended for a while. Um, just uh, They've just done some amazing things. Paul went to Oral Roberts University, graduated from there, became the young adults pastor at Victory Church, and then his dad fell very, very ill. And um, and then, like I said, in this time past, and Roman, I was telling you beforehand, Paul became the senior pastor of this church at the age of 28. At and this is not a small church. No, there, we're talking thousands of people, thousands of people attend this church on a weekly basis. And uh, Paul takes over takes over i mean really just running the whole the whole the whole kit and caboodle if you will and <laughs> is just doing a phenomenal job he takes over at 28 one week later turns 29 and we talk about everything from when his dad passed to him taking over feeling unqualified which is something i'm sure that all of us deal with at some time or another in our lives and uh, even even reaching a, a point of of like making mistakes, being a young leader, and how to how to overcome once you've made some mistakes, and uh, it's just a really great conversation. So I'm really excited to share this with you all today. So uh, Roman, I think without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Pastor Paul Darty. Well, Pastor Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's an absolute honor to have you here. Man, it's an honor to be with you guys. I love what you're doing. I love your vision and just honored that you asked me to be a part of it. Man, thanks so much. That means a lot. 
Uh, well, hey, let's jump in here. Uh, for for the folks out there listening, let's let's get a little background on Pastor Paul Darty here. Uh, wh- how did you get where you are, what you're doing now? Tell us a little bit about your family. Uh, yeah, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, I grew up in a pastor's home. Um, I'm the youngest of four children. My parents started the church in 1981. They moved from Arkansas to Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, just a step of faith. They both came from poor families and uh, didn't have much money, but they just felt like they were supposed to go to Oral Roberts University, and which is right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so when they came here, um, God ended up helping them, providing for them, and they ended up getting scholarships. And uh, they both graduated, got married, and started the family and had my older sister, Sarah and Ruthie, and then my brother, John, and then me. And then during that time, started the church, uh, Victory. They felt called to uh, pastor. And so they planted Victory Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1981. That same year, they planted a Christian school called Victory Christian School, K3 through 12th grade. And then they also planted a Bible college here called Victory, Victory Bible College. And so um, it all grew really fast because there wasn't a whole lot of like um, charismatic, spirit-filled, faith-filled type of ministries that were in Tulsa during that time. And so, you know, you had a lot of students graduating from Oral Roberts University that that really liked the whole message of faith and um, really were looking for a church and a school for their kids and, and Bible college. So that grew. By the time I was born, our church was already having like weekly uh, attendance of five, 6,000 people. And then when I was wow. old enough to really be in church, we were, we were seeing anywhere from like nine to 10,000 people a week coming to our services. And then the school was growing. So I grew up in the school. Um, and that was interesting because, you know, all the teachers and the principals were like, how are we supposed to treat the pastor's kids in the school? <laughs> Because my dad's office was also the church and the school were in the same building, and so it was. Anyways, that was funny. But my dad was actually kind of like, "You better treat my kids even more intense, hold them to a stricter standard." So we we kind of got more. Uh, we didn't get away with anything, that's for <laughs> sure. We definitely got more strict standards there. But growing up in the pastor's home, growing up in that family, learning about God, and my dad was my pastor, and. And man, like, honestly, my mom and dad, they were the kind of parents that just, they did a good job. They hung out with us as kids. They weren't always away, you know, traveling or preaching. They were bringing us with them on missions trips, and they were bringing us with them to church, and we were doing life together as a family. And, uh, you know, I've heard some some rough stories of, of pastor's kids who grew up with parents that, you know, were put the ministry in front of the family. And, uh, where the family kind of just never got to see them or never really saw like the side um, of of the parents or pastors from stage and kind of saw maybe the hypocrisy behind the scenes. And thankfully, I didn't see that. Thankfully, my parents were the same off the stage that they were on the stage, which really had a great impact on what I'm doing today and why I ended up in the ministry and becoming a pastor <clears throat> and so since I was young, I always, always felt called to preach, always felt called to serve in the church, uh, led worship, played guitar, played piano, 
had a, an idea that maybe, and I had a band for a long time. So I had this idea that our band would be, you know, traveling and leading worship. And we were a Christian worship band. And so I was writing songs. Um, but after college, I really felt like God was saying, you need to lay down the band thing and really focus on serving in the church and um, just volunteering anywhere and everywhere. And so I did. And I ended up getting hired on that next year after college uh, in our young adults ministry. And my sister and, and her husband, they felt called to go on missions to China, and they had been leading our young adults ministry. And so they had seen me serving, volunteering there, had had me preach several times there, and, and we have like a young adult service weekly. And anyways, I ended up stepping in as the young adults pastor, and that was kind of the last year my dad was alive was my first year on staff. And so I got to work for him full-time on staff for one year. Um, but I did work for him basically my whole life for free. <laughs> uh, you know, so I'd kind of learned who he was and, and the way that he led our ministry and our church and family. And I, I honestly thought, you know, my dad's going to pastor this church until Jesus comes back. Um, you know, because people would ask, who's going to take over the church when your dad's done? And I'd be like, no, that's not going to happen because he's going to do this until he dies. And then we're, you know, we're all going to heaven. Anyway, I just, we had this, <laughs> we had this view and perception on, on, on all of that, that no one ever really knew what was going to happen and didn't really think about it. And so, and I think most churches, from what I hear, people aren't thinking about transition. Like there, no one's really and now more and more people are starting to think about it because in the last five years, a lot of my parents' generation has either passed away or, or is, is, is battling sickness or battling, you know, um, different things. And so they're starting to think more and more about retirement, transition plans, and, and how the next generation is going to step in. And so I remember going, um, my dad had gotten sick and, and it was really weird because all my life, I'd never seen him sick. And my mom was like, Hey, your dad's in the hospital. And I said, well, who's he going to visit? And she said, no, no, he's in there himself. And I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. And I remember going up there and finding out that he had cancer and none of us knew. We just found out that day from the doctor in the hospital here in Tulsa. <clears throat> and immediately they said, you know, we need to take him to MD Anderson in Houston, Texas. And and really treat this cancer. It was lymphoma cancer. They said, this is an aggressive form of cancer. And, and so immediately he was pulled away from the pulpit. And <clears throat> his last thing that he did publicly in front of the church was he married me and my wife. He did our wedding. Wow. And then like four weeks later, he ended up passing away. But during that time, Whoa. multiple conversations happened between me and my dad and, and our whole family just talking about the church. And my dad just kept saying, you know, Paul, I see you stepping up and, and helping more, um, preaching more and pastoring more. And, you know, he would start talking about what I was doing with the college ministry and doing more of that in the main church. And anyways, the night that he passed away, I was just broken up. I was in tears. I was mad at God. I was mad at my dad because I felt like, you know, um, yeah, I knew it wasn't his fault. I knew it wasn't God's fault. But at the same time, I just was really mad at the whole situation. And yet I also felt this peace that God was bringing to my heart. And I, I remember standing in the hospital room. You know, I didn't even go 
didn't go to sleep that night for, for 20 hours. I just sat beside my dad's hospital bed and just cried and put my head next to, you know, his hand, just kind of hoping that he might, um, come to life. And, and the doctors and nurses were giving us plenty of time as a family to kind of just, uh, you know, cope with the situation. But I remember God just saying to me, Paul, serve your mom, serve the church and get ready because you're about to step in as the pastor and leader of this ministry. And I felt like, I felt like God was just kind of looking down from heaven. And I felt like my dad was already up there, even though his body was in that hospital room. I felt like his spirit was up in heaven. And it was almost like he was looking down from heaven, standing next to God. And I I don't know what God looks like, but I just felt like, you know, I felt the presence of God, the power of God. And, and I felt like they were saying like, man, look at your family. Your family loves you. Your family is going to carry on the legacy of victory. And they're going to, you know, live their lives to bring glory to God. And, and I felt like God was saying like, your dad ran his race and he finished his race and he served his generation. And now it's time for you to rise up and serve yours. And at that time I was 24 years old. And so, you know, the church was, church was a lot older than me. And, and today, you know, our church is 36 years old and I'm 31 years old, but I ended up stepping in as pastor a few years later. And during that interim season, my mom served as kind of the leader and she had me preaching and other people preaching and herself, she would preach some, but I ended up stepping in at age 28 as pastor. And then, um, that next week I turned 29. So anyways, that's kind of a quick where I am. That's leading you to when I step in as pastor. Wow. <laughs> so much happened in that, uh, First off, just want to say I've been to 3D, the which was the young adult ministry that you oversaw, and it it was outstanding. You did it was it was top notch. You guys have done a phenomenal job with that. I also attended Victory Bible Institute, uh, and again, you guys did a great job there. So I absolutely love what you your dad has done. Love what you're doing now. Um, and I didn't realize that the, that, that, uh, the transition there from you, from your dad to you happened so quickly. I didn't realize that it was, you got married and then just a few short weeks later, he had passed away. Um, and then I, I can only imagine, I, I, I mean, I'm tearing up hearing you tell this story and I can't even imagine all of that happening. And then hearing God say, okay, you're up. Like this, his era is over. It's yours now, or it's soon to be yours. Like that had to just be kind of a crazy night. Like, did you ever like even just remotely think like, oh, that was just a wild night. Like emotions were running high. My dad had just passed away. Like that, that probably can't be like, did that ever run through your head? (laughs) Yeah. In fact, I didn't tell anyone when I felt that, you know, that, feeling in my heart. Like I didn't hear the audible voice of God, but I just felt that impression in my heart from God. And since I was young, you know, I've heard the story in the Bible of when God spoke to Samuel as a young boy um, and learning to hear God's voice at a young age, learning to know, you know, what is the voice of God? What's not the voice of God? And so I knew in my heart that I, you know, I was like 99% sure that God just spoke that to me. I, but at the same time, I didn't want to, didn't want to tell anyone because I'm the youngest of four <laughs> siblings and they're all in ministry. And I was like, you know, I know what happened to Joseph when he told his <laughs> siblings, Hey, I'm going to be the pastor. 
uh, you know, I was like, I don't want anybody throwing me in a pit and selling me to Egypt. Like, <laughs> so I, I kept it to myself and, um, because I was really unsure. I was like, man, if this is supposed to happen, it's going to be God. It's not going to be me. And I'm not going to manipulate this situation. So I, I just kept it to myself for a year. I didn't say anything to anyone except for my wife. I told my wife and she was like, man, she's like, that would be a miracle. If that's, you know, if that's supposed to happen. God will make it happen, Paul. But just keep doing what you're doing with college ministry. And if God decides to, you know, use one of your other siblings or someone else from the outside to be the pastor of victory, it'll be okay. And, and you know, God has great plans for our lives either way. And I was like, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but it wouldn't go away. Like the, the thought just wouldn't go away. And so during that next year, my mom, she had stepped in and the board of trustees had kind of voted that, you know, the best situation after my father passed was for my mom to serve as the founding, you know, uh, leader of the organization and then her to use other team members and some of the family members, myself and my brother-in-law and, um, a few others to kind of help teach and preach. But anyways, during that time, um, about a year after my father had passed, one of the board members accidentally said something to me. <laughs> and I say accidentally because he didn't know that my mom hadn't talked to me yet. And he just said, Hey, Paul, um, you're doing a good job. And I just want to encourage you that your dad saw inside of you um, just a future for, for you to really grow as, as a leader here. And when he said that, it was like the first time someone had said something to me outside of what I had felt in my heart and what my wife and I had talked about. And during that first year um, after my father passed, I had a few like church members like saying prophetic words. But you know how some people are in the church. They say a word and they and it can be kind of odd. And you're like, I don't know if I trust you. And so <laughs> but when the board member said this and I knew he wasn't flaky and I knew he was, you know, really saying something truthful. I, I went to my mom and I said, Hey mom, you know, I just want to know, like, what, what do you feel in your heart about the future? Like five years from now, 10 years from now, what do you see happening? And, and who do you see stepping in? And she was like, you know, I knew at some point you would ask me this. And she said, I think it's time to tell you that your dad actually told um, the board that you should step in at the, at the right time as the next pastor victory. And like, when she said that, I just started bawling. Cause I was like, are you serious? He never told me this. And she said, yeah, um, there's a reason for that. Cause you were 24 years old. You had just gotten married and he didn't want to overwhelm you. And she said, and I didn't want to overwhelm you. So I've kind of just been waiting. And she said, but yes, you know, that that's something that we feel is that you're supposed to step in. And I was like, well, you know, I know I'm the youngest and I know my older siblings are, are great ministers and they're all involved in the church and they're very gifted. And she said, yeah, but you know, God, God's going to have different plans for them. But in the meantime, just keep serving and keep getting ready because the day will come. And she said, I don't know if it'll be five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, but just, you know, keep getting ready. And so anyways, that kind of changed everything. And so for the next, after she told me that it was about three years later that, um, she stood up in front of the church and made the announcement that, uh, that I was going to be stepping in as the pastor of victory in 2014. And so anyways, that, yeah, that kind of, that confirmed 
like, I don't know if I answered your question, but that confirmed those, that word in my heart. For sure. For sure. And I have to ask, you said when you went home and told your wife, uh, that the, the night that your dad passed away, that God had kind of spoken this to your heart. Were you like a little bit hoping that he had told her the same thing? Because I guess I kind of chuckle a little bit because I feel like she responded the same way my wife would, where it's just like, yeah, that sounds cool. But if it doesn't happen, kind of don't get your hopes up, you know, like, I think that sounds great. But like, were you kind of hoping she was just like, God told me the same thing. Let's do this. (laughs) Yeah, I was definitely hoping for uh, a more like exciting, safe, you know, faith filled answer. Like, yeah, I felt that too. But um, yeah, no, she definitely responded. (laughs) She responded in that other way. And it's funny because it just, our personalities were so different and it's, perfect because I am very I I feel like I'm always getting um you know things in my heart and my spirit from God and it's not that she doesn't because she does but most times God's giving her like strategies and God's giving me vision and so when I give her like a vision like hey I feel like God's calling us to go on the television go on tv or or God's you know telling me we need to do certain things like plant this church or do put this person in that place. It, she's always getting the strategy, the how to, and and I'm usually getting the the what, you know, the 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 vision. That's awesome. Very very cool. Perfect, so perfect match. But yeah, there. definitely definitely responded differently than than I had hoped. But at <laughs> the same time, kind of helped me come back down to earth and go. Sure. Yeah, she's right. I need to I need to make sure that that I'm surrendered to whatever God wants to do. For sure, for sure. You know, one thing, this is actually going to go off script a little bit here, but one thing you said in that conversation with your mom that really jumped out at me is that she told you, I don't know if this is going to happen five years, 10 years, 15 years, whenever this happens, but keep getting ready. Just keep getting ready. So for you, like, what did that look like? What did keep getting ready look like? Like, what was that what was that process like? Because honestly, I feel like those three words are something that's so, so pertinent and so uh, poignant for this generation, for, for the young people out there listening that think, man, I want to do more. I want to, I want to go further. I want to go higher. I want to, I know God's calling me to more. I believe this is something that God's even saying to me is keep getting ready because I've got something for you, but I need you to get ready for it. So for you, Paul, what did that look like? Man, honestly, like it was, it was frustrating, but it was also really helpful and very um, purposeful. And I, I felt like that season during that altogether, it was about four and a half years of uh, between, you know, the night that my dad passed and, and the day that I stepped in as pastor. And so during that time, I knew that was kind of the word from God to me. And then my mom confirmed it. Um, during that season, the middle of that season saying, yeah, this is going to happen, but I can't tell you when it's going to happen. The bottom line is you've got to keep getting ready. And um, so everything for me was like training. I was like, okay. Um, and then I also, you know, honestly, the day that I stepped in as pastor, I still didn't feel ready, but God said, no one is ever a hundred percent ready for this. Mm. But God kind of showed me like, even before your father passed, you were getting ready and you didn't even know it by going on mission trips with your parents, by volunteering in the church, by 
going to these, you know, conferences and going to college and going to school, like God was basically showing me like ever since you were born, you are getting ready for this, 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 you know, role that I'm putting you in now. And so, um, but during that season, those four and a half years, man, I was reading books. I was, uh, listening to podcasts. I was, I was really like just absorbing as much, um, information about leadership as possible. And then also sitting around and, and, uh, interviewing lots and lots of mentors and leaders in my life and going and, you know, being in other churches and, and sitting with other pastors and just asking them, how do you do what you do? How did you get here? Um, and, and being around people that are where I want us to go, not just people that are, you know, at the same season of life that I'm in, but are 20, 40 years down the road and, um, and asking them to speak into my life. And so, you know, I remember reading one of Joel Osteen's books and just thinking, man, like he took over after his dad passed away from cancer. And he also had older siblings that could have stepped in. Um, but God used him to step in. And so he's someone that I want to interview and just talk to. And I remember like just praying, God open the door for me to, to go down to Houston and, and, you know, spend some time with pastor Joel and just talk to him and ask him questions on leadership stuff that he wouldn't necessarily talk about from stage in the sermon, but that he would open up about. And so it was really cool. Like God opened that door. And I remember going to meet him and he said, Paul, I just want you to know, I've been watching your family from afar and your dad was there when my father passed away and he encouraged our family and encouraged me. And he said, so I want to be that to you. And man, when he said that, I was just like, wow, God, you've been, man, you've been like just setting up people in my path to speak into my life and to help me get ready. And and the seeds that my dad planted, I'm getting to step into a harvest of those seeds of relationships where he, you know, poured out and encouraged other people. And now those people are encouraging his son. And, um, and so different ones like Larry Stockstill, Willie George, uh, you know, just different ones in our city and different ones, Dino Rizzo and Chris Hodges and, and people out there that um, have built relationship with my parents or with our church over the years and, and spoke into our lives. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, that is incredible. I love what you said is that you were being prepared basically since birth. And, uh, I mean, it, it just goes all back to that scripture, our steps order the Lord as well as we devise our way, but the Lord orders our steps. And I just think it's so amazing that this was all happening. And, and I think some of it even comes back to, I think you could have said, you know, I want to stick with this band thing. Like, I got a good thing going here. This is what I want to do. I don't want to, I don't want to go volunteer at my church rather than doing the band thing. But I, like, there's so many amazing principles in here and like not despising the days of small beginnings. Um, I've seen, I've seen people that, uh, like at the church I grew up at, there was a guy I knew that wanted to be in ministry and he thought he was, he would go from not being in ministry to like preaching on Sundays just overnight. And he, and our pastor did the right thing and encouraged him just to start volunteering and to get plugged in and he wouldn't do it. And to this day, he's still not in ministry. Um, he's, he, he's not been where God has wanted him to be. And I, I just see this and how you took those steps early on and that it's not like a, a formal schooling of getting ready, but just all along 
through those little processes here and there, you were getting ready the whole time and maybe just didn't even realize it. That's amazing. <laughs> That's an incredible wow. story right there. I love that so much. Um, so, so at 28, 28 years old, you turn 29 the week you take over the church. Did you just have like a holy crap moment of, I just, <laughs> I just went from, from, from serving the guy who's leading this church and running the young adult ministry, which I, I don't mean to, to diminish that at all, but I, I can't, yeah. I also can't imagine that that's the same as leading the entire church of thousands of people where the entire weight rests on you. Did you have that moment of like, oh dear God, I'm not qualified to do this? Yeah. And I still do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely had those moments, man. And, and leading up and then even stepping in, um, I just multiple times have broken down in tears <laughs> just thinking, oh man, this would be so much easier if I was like 45 years old <laughs> and I had been an assistant pastor or a church planter for 10 or 15 years. So that way I was, you know, a little more in my mind, a little more prepared through experience, but you know, God's grace has been there and, um, definitely have had those moments and still do where I go, man, I'm so unqualified. Like I'm so, uh, I'm, I'm too young. I'm not educated enough. I'm not, I haven't had enough experiences. And, and, you know, I hear people sometimes tell me that. And, um, and the, the good thing was this, and I'll say this, you know, I stepped out of college ministry the year before I stepped in as pastor. Before my mom even said anything, I just felt my heart. I was supposed to pass off the college ministry to another guy in our church um, who has done a great job with it. And I, I just told my mom, I said, hey, wherever you need me, I'll serve. I want to I wanna just serve in a different way than college ministry right now. And so I ended up stepping in as kind of like an executive assistant pastor. And started learning about our nursery and our kids and our school and Bible college and Dream Center. And, and just kind of that one year that I was serving in that role, I got a better picture of everything that went on. But still, when I stepped in, I was still like, oh, my goodness, this is way, way more responsibility than than, <laughs> than anything I've done before. And the responsibility of, you know, just paying your staff. and believing God each week for the finances to keep this thing moving forward and, and taking care of, of people that are working here and, you know, um, looking at budgets and looking at departments and asking those tough questions, like where do we need to make changes and who do we need to cut and who do we need to add on and are certain people in the right seat? Like I had never been in that role to be thinking about all these staff members here and thinking about the budget and thinking about the school and the Bible college and, and now stepping into that, you know, pastor president role where I'm like, wow, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. And every single day, nothing stops. Like it just keeps going and it's, it's a lot. And, uh, so each week I have some of those moments that you just mentioned where I'm like, Oh man, Lord, give me grace. I need a lot of help and I need you to make up for my lack of experience and lack of knowledge and lack of everything. Cause, cause yeah, I definitely feel unqualified oftentimes. So, 
Man, I can only imagine. I mean, I, I've not held a role near what you're doing, but I mean, I, I've been in a couple roles. I had the privilege of running the kids ministry at Church on the Move, Willie, jo- Pastor Willie George's church in Tulsa. And uh, I remember having many moments like that of just like, oh my gosh, I'm not qualified to do this. Like, I, you're not just handed like a manual of like, here's how this goes. And so like, it's just so crazy to me you're thrust into this role and from, from everything I can see, victory is just doing incredible. And so I, I am curious that through that process, and I really respect you uh, saying the whole like praying and just asking God for grace on the regular, but even beyond that, like what are some really practical steps that you've taken? Is it books that you're reading? Is it, I, I know you've mentioned podcasts that you listen to, but in addition to that, I, I mean, are you reach, st- continuing to reach out to people to uh to to kind of make up for those areas and be able to bounce ideas off people um to kind of make up in some of those areas where you're not feeling as qualified. Yeah, um I think man, it's definitely it's it's all of it, all of the above. Reading books, listening to podcasts, calling pastors, um and the great news is my mom is still here. She's still um on staff. And so oftentimes I'll just say, Hey mom, how did you and dad handle these kinds of situations? How, how did, and she has the, the, you know, knowledge and the experience to be able to, you know, give me feedback. Like, Hey, here's what I remember your dad doing. And here's what I remember um, us walking through in these kinds of situations. Cause everything that we encounter today, we're not the first ones to encounter it. You know, there's people that have also encountered the same situations. Now, may not be like all the exact details, but the principles of the situations, someone out there has walked through it before you. Mm. And so what I do is I oftentimes will call a mentor. Um, you know, like one, one of my mentors was Dr. Mark Rutland, who served as a president at ORU. And I'll call him and just say, Hey, you know, he, he, he used to pastor a church and he also, you know, ran university, uh, ORU and Southeastern University. And so I just say, how did you handle this kind of a staffing situation? And so I'm constantly trying to lean on my mentors and get help from them, calling up, you know, the previous um, executive pastor of Victory. He served my parents for like 25, 30 years. So he's someone that's a phone call away and he often will give me ideas or thoughts or counsel. And then, um, yeah, just different people like that. And then reading books, listening to podcasts, and honestly, just trusting in my heart when I get a direction from God that, you know, God is not confined to our age or to our experience. And God can speak through a six-year-old and God can speak through a seven-year-old. But, you know, I, I I feel like there's been times where because of my feelings of inadequacy or unqualified, you know, that I would second guess what God's already told me to do. And I would end up calling a mentor who's, you know, 60, 70 years old and, and ask them, you know, about a situation, what would you do? And they would say, well, what's God telling you to do? And I would tell them, they'd be like, well, why haven't you done that? And I'm like, well, I don't know because I'm 31 years old. Maybe it's not God. And they're like, Paul, that's exactly what I would do. That's God speaking to you. You need to trust, you know, God's voice in your life. And so, yeah, spending time in prayer, reading the word, cultivating uh, an ear to hear God's voice and obey God's voice, and then, you know, calling those mentors in my life that can help give that confirmation. 
Man, that's so good. I love that so much. For those for the leaders out there listening, I just love that what Pastor Paul's saying here is that it, it, it being the leader at any level, it's not about having all the answers. It's about knowing where to go and get the answers. And whether that I, we talk a lot about reading books and listening to podcasts and finding mentors on here, and I love that you're echoing that uh, through this and through your experience. Um, and, and of course, relying on God and the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Um, I just think it's it's super cool that this is a very practical step that we can all take, and in, in that it's not a matter of you just sitting in a room and thinking really hard to come up with all of the answers. That there are resources and tools out there that you can go get your hands on and learn from someone who's already been through this and already done it. Um, because, like Pastor Paul said, it's it's unlikely that we're the first one to ever go through this. And so, kind of moving on here, Paul. One thing I'd love to to tackle here is, like you said, the church is now thirty six years old. I believe you said, is that right? Yes, thirty six yes, years sir. old. So the church has been around for quite a while, longer than you've even been alive. And so, yeah. stepping into this role, and like you said, we've already talked about kind of the the unqualified aspect. But one thing I'd be curious about is, I mean, your dad was somewhat of an icon, especially in Tulsa. I mean, with the church, with the Bible school, with the, 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 the regular school, um, how, how is it that you have found, and maybe you're even still working through this, but in stepping into this and not totally changing the, the entire direction of the church, which I'm sure wasn't your heart anyways, but basically to where you're still honoring the past but yet blazing a trail for the future and what you believe the vision is that God has placed in your heart for the future of victory. How do you kind of manage that right there of, of, of honoring the past, but also still moving forward with what God's calling you to do? Because I, I would imagine that's a, that's a role a lot of leaders find themselves in. When you step into a role of leading a team of any kind, typically you're taking over from someone else and it's not that everything they did was bad, or in your case, maybe none of it was bad, but it's just time for, for some changes. And it's time for, for a new direction, which is why you're stepping into this role. And so how have you found that, I don't even know if I want to call it balance, but being able to honor what has been, but yet still move forward to what God is calling you to? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's continual inner communication as leaders that Anytime I'm talking to the staff or talking to our congregation, our church, that I'm constantly saying honorable things about my mom and dad and about the past. And I'll oftentimes, you know, at least once or twice a month, I'll just say, man, like we would not be here if it was not for my mom and dad and and the team around them that helped obey God's vision to plant this church and to give sacrificially for this building to be here, for us to be debt-free. And so I'm constantly like just appreciating the past and appreciating the people that are still here from the past, you know, and I'll probably once or twice a year, I'll just say, hey, if you've been here for 20 years or more, I want you to stand up and we'll just give a, a huge standing ovation to the people that have stayed with the ministry for you know, 20 years, 15 to 20 years or more. And what's amazing is, man, there's hundreds of people still in the church that have been here for 25 to 30 years uh, or more with the ministry. And that to me is so encouraging because I'm like, man, they could have gotten offended because, 
you know, I don't care how, how cool your church is. Every church is going to make mistakes and it's easy to, you know, get offended. And, and I'm thinking, how cool is it that these people have battled through all the different reasons why they could have left and they've stayed with it. And so I always give them a lot of love and appreciation. And then I always try to honor my mom just saying, man, like mom, I just want to say, thank you. You are the definition of perseverance. You are the mother and the pioneer with my father um, of this church. And so I try to just as often as possible, communicate honor. And then also like when I stepped in as pastor, the whole first year, I didn't change anything. Like, I just was like, you know what? I, there's no reason for me to try and change stuff right off the bat. I'm just going to take a full year here because I personally am the change. Like, I'm enough change for them, just me being the pastor. So I don't need to change the paint color. I don't need to change the stage in the first year. I don't need to change the, um, you know, the, all the other stuff. And thankfully, my mom, before I stepped in, she had already kind of shifted some of the changes. She had already kind of, shifted the change of worship she had kind of shifted um even just more of a casual atmosphere and and uh not not feeling like people had to wear suits on sunday because honestly like right before my dad passed he was starting to loosen up in his uh casualness from stage <laughs> he, you know because his whole life he had worn a suit and tie to preach but in like his last year, he started to venture out a little more and not wear a tie and on Saturday nights wear jeans and then untuck his shirt. And I was like, whoa, dad's getting really, you know, <laughs> contemporary. <laughs> um, but my mom kind of helped loosen that atmosphere up so that when I stepped in, I, I didn't have to feel like I had to wear a suit. Um, but yeah, it took the first year to just make sure people didn't feel like I was immediately, you know, guns blazing, trying to change everything. And so that built some trust, that built some credibility with um, the older people that, you know, were kind of waiting, is Paul going to change everything? So then the second year, because now I've been pastoring for two and a half years, so the second year is when I started making changes more, um, and not like huge changes, but just, you know, little things like our outdoor sign needed to be changed, uh, started changing like media stuff and and um my brother he leads our creative ministry and and our creative department and so started empowering them more to kind of make changes where they saw we needed to make changes and and but yeah i think it's been a balance of just um not doing too many changes all at once and trying to keep as much of the dna of this house you know here because that dna has has been successful and that DNA is, has done a great job. And my thought is why change that DNA? And so theologically and doctrinally, I've really stayed, you know, in the same vein as my parents because they had good theology and there was, there was nothing that I felt like I needed to change the message here, but more just the little methods, you know? For sure. For sure. So kind of as we wrap up the conversation here, one thing I love to ask the leaders that are coming on the show is is what is something that you look back on over your career or even just here recently um, that you would see as kind of a misstep or maybe a mistake, maybe even just a failure that was made, as well as how you recovered from it? Because oftentimes I think leader, young leaders especially think that I'm, I'm going to grab the world by the tail. I'm going to go from A to B. It's going to be success, success, success. It's going to be great. And it's just a straight line from A to B. 
But as you get into this and you begin to realize that's not how things work, that it's oftentimes there, there is a series of mistakes, that we're, we're figuring this out as we go. What is something that's happened to you or that you've done that you've seen and you thought, you know what, if I could go back, I'd probably do this over again. This didn't go very well. Uh, but then also here's kind of how I, I bounce back from it. Yeah, man, I've had a lot of little mistakes <laughs> and some not so little, some that were more bigger. But um, I think, you know, thankfully I haven't had like any like uh, moral mistakes, but more just honestly like mistakes from the side of uh, just being young and immature and insecure at times. And, you know, I remember one time I was leading a staff meeting and um, right when I stepped in as pastor and uh, one of the guys on our staff, on my core team, because it was like a team of about eight people in the room, and I opened up about an idea that I was excited about for the church. And this person on the staff, you know, felt the freedom to just kind of challenge the idea and give kind of an opposing thought to it. And my insecurities rose up and I was like, no, we're going to do what I've, you know, you know, said we're going to do. And, and right after I started saying it, like, you know, you could just see the faces in the room, like, oh my gosh, why didn't Paul just listen to the guy, you know, sharing his, his perspective on this. And immediately I felt just that conviction in my heart, like, oh, that was wrong. That's not the culture I want to build. I want to build a culture where people can, can challenge the ideas privately in those closed rooms and, and can open up and say, man, I, if we're going to do that, then we need to think about this. And should we really do that? And the guy wasn't trying to like, you know, challenge me as a leader he was just trying to challenge my thought process. And, um, and anyways, my insecurities just got the best of me. And I had to apologize to the whole team. I was like, guys, I'm so sorry. I want you to be able to, you know, share your thoughts that are different than mine and oppose these ideas. And I want this to be a safe place to, you know, challenge that process. And I'm sorry, my insecurities got in the way and they all forgave me. They were like, Hey, we understand we're all growing and we're learning. And then I remember another, like, probably a lot of, a lot of mistakes. Um, and thankfully I haven't made too many of these recently, but definitely when I stepped in, I would just, I would honestly like have a rough weekend where I, I wouldn't preach the best sermon. And, uh, <laughs> and I could tell that it wasn't very good. And I was like, Oh my goodness. And you know, it was, it, I had worked hard. Um, but I think I honestly, like maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't spend enough time really developing those thoughts or really preparing how I was going to deliver that. And so it ended up coming out kind of like throw up, you know, and I would just beat myself up about it during the week. Like, Oh my goodness, you totally failed as a pastor, as a preacher, you preach the worst sermon. People aren't going to come back anymore. You know, <laughs> you're going to shrink the church. And, and I would open up to my wife about it all the time. I'd be like, Ashley, I don't think people are going to come back. And she'd be like, Paul, no offense, but people aren't thinking about you as much as you think they are. I was like, okay, that's wow. good to hear. <laughs> and then she also said like, and my wife has been just a great source of encouragement as well as, you know, just realistic telling me, <laughs> she's like, Paul, they know your age and they know that you're not going to be a home run hitter every single week. And she said, you know, just trust that people who are called to be here, they're going to be able to overlook those moments where you feel like you missed it as a preacher. Or you feel like you didn't have a great sermon or you didn't 
prepare enough or deliver it in a way that made sense. And, and you, you know, you threw up on the, on the church. Like, and so, cause I would feel the need to apologize the next week, every single time. Like, Hey guys, I'm sorry for last weekend. That sermon wasn't really good, but promise you this week's going to be better, you know? And I did that a couple of times and people told me, they're like, stop apologizing. Like, it's not as bad as you think it is. And we're not like, you don't need to apologize every time. We know that you're, you're growing and you're working hard. And, and so anyways, I mean, I, I could probably think of a whole lot of other ones, but hopefully those help a little bit. Man, I appreciate you being so transparent. And I respect you so much for going back into your staff meeting and apologizing to the team, not just to the individual, but to the entire team uh, for that instance. That's so cool. Um, and I can only imagine that, that the respect level of the team had to have gone up when that happened. And so, you know, uh, Pastor Paul, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. Before we go, I, if I'm not mistaken, I saw recently you launched your own podcast. Is that right? I did. You know, I've been feeling in my heart for over a year that I needed to start sharing some of my personal experiences, um, as well as conversations with some of the mentors in my life on a podcast. And I just been putting it off, putting it off thinking, no, I I don't have time for that. But in January of this year, I just felt like, man, I'm supposed to, I'm really supposed to do this and felt my prayer time that if I don't do it, that I'm, I'm disobeying what God's asked me to do. So yes, I, I started this podcast. It's called learning to lead. And, um, and similar to what you guys are doing, I'm just sharing, you know, some of those vulnerable things and, and moments where I'm learning on a daily basis how to grow as a leader. And looking back and then looking currently on lessons that uh, that I'm learning from. So That's fantastic, folks. I highly encourage you to go check that out. And of course, we'll have that linked up in the show notes. Uh, you can check that out. At Thank Le- you, man. Yeah, of course. Uh, folks, you can get that at leadershippodcast.com. Uh, it'll take you right to the show notes there. And uh, Pastor Paul, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, what is the best way to go about doing so? Yeah, well, they could uh, reach me on Twitter. Um, I'm just at Paul Doherty or on Instagram. Same thing, Paul Doherty, P-A-U-L-D-A-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y. Um, and then if they're wanting to you know, send me an email or, or anything like that, they can just send an email to uh, lead, L-E-A-D, at victory.com. And um, that email address, I'll get, you know, a response from from whoever out there wants to connect with me. Absolutely. And folks, once again, we'll have all that linked up over in the show notes. You can check it out there. Pastor Paul, thanks for coming on, for being so vulnerable and transparent with our audience. I know I got a ton out of the conversation today. Uh, Really, really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you, sir, for taking the time to stop by. Thank you, Jared. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me and uh, excited for what you guys are doing. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to the Leadership Podcast today. If you would like to get in touch with us, uh, you can find us online at creative underscore sheep. Or if you would like uh, Jared's advice on building snowmen, uh, maybe some tips, tricks that he's used to build the perfect snowman, you can hit us up online. Uh, if, if you got something out of this episode and you'd like, uh, maybe you know someone that could benefit from listening to this, we would love for you to send it to them, uh, maybe on uh, Facebook or Twitter, uh, and definitely subscribe and uh, leave a review if you want to. Maybe you you, uh, you maybe you hate this uh, show. Don't leave a review <laughs> in that case. Um, if you but if you like it, definitely hit us up. Uh, leave a review on iTunes. That would uh, that would help us out in the in the rankings and so forth. 
Hey, we appreciate y'all listening. We will see you next week.